Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. In fact, it's not quite the latest episode. It is a republishing of the first half of an episode we recorded at the end of June. It was with Dan H, who's a Brighton fan, um, who was talking to us about his love of the Albion and various other things besides, but also about the, his struggles with mental health uh, that he'd been having. You may recall the episode from a few weeks ago. We chatted to him, Peter and I, down at the Gladstone Arms, our favourite uh, pub cast haunt. Um, it formed, in the end, the first part of a two-parter, where we bumped into some Palace fans and chatted to them as well. What we're doing now is just republishing the first half of that chat, the bit where Dan is telling us his, uh, his, uh, about his, all of his troubles and um, the importance of talking, the importance of communication and to know that there are people out there that can help and we should always think about that. And because today, as we publish it, uh, or republish it, I should say, this is World Mental Health Day. So it's to raise awareness a little bit more and as a reminder again of those factors. So here is Dan again um, talking in June about his love of the Albion and about his mental health struggles. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game for the first of our little summer series of podcasts where we're going to get a couple of extra guests in. And we're back in the Gladstone, aren't we, Peter? We are. It's been a while. It has. It feels like a long time ago. Yeah, well, yeah I've missed not. it. I know, yeah. And, and I'm drinking halves. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm drinking halves. Don't ask why, I'm just trying to calm it down for the summer. He is um, drinking them very quickly, though. Yes, that's the problem. <laughs> it's got to the bottom. <laughs> anyway, if you hear a guess, period of silence on air, then that'll be it. <laughs> yes, we'll just keep it running and however long it takes for me to get served. No, we, we are here with our guest today, making his debut. Albion fan of many years as well, same as myself. Uh, and looks down collective member, uh, long term Albion fan, are you, Mr. Dan H? How are you, Dan? I'm very well, thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, my, my first Albion game was 1972. Uh, a home victory against Blackburn Rovers by 3 0. Uh, courtesy of the next door neighbour whose sons were into football and said, Well, you can jump in the car as well. I think he had a, I think he had a Capri. He used to squeeze <laughs> out the back of this little Capri and eat chips and go to the football. So, yeah, that was that was the addiction. Sat on the, that, that concrete wall. Yeah. I the, thought the front he of the next neighbour scored. I thought he was the goal scorer. <laughs> Would have been nice if he was. Um, but, yeah, so that, that was my first year. Um, I had a big hiatus when I didn't go and see the Albion in the middle, just fell out of love with football. But, uh, yeah. Thanks to some mates prompting me, got back into the Albion for the Amex era and uh, now consider myself an ever-present. Yeah, and that peak Albion, I thought it was peak 70s to start with, Capri's yeah. in 1972. 
uh, Pete Campbell being experienced, that's great, fantastic. I can't believe your first game is 1972. You do not, generally do not look old enough to have gone to a game at that age. Not unless you were... I was seven. Seven? Yeah, 58 now. Oh, wow. Fantastic. There we go. Well, you say fantastic. Every time I get out of bed in the morning, it doesn't feel it. But I'm sure a lot of people feel the same. <laughs> and you are a regular of the games. Yeah, very regular. Um, you were just saying off air, you completed, I think, was it, was it, when was it a few seasons ago now, you finished your first ever season doing all the games? This season. Oh, this, this season, this season just gone. Is, is my first ever present. League and Cups, home and yeah. away. Not a bad one to pick, I yeah. suppose. To do that, I, I guess it was a good one. You but, keep uh, that up now, yeah. Given us no chance, given what happened with it, <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep anything up at my age. Uh, but it, it was always nice. go down that line, <laughs> go down. I saw you did there, <laughs> but it was nice for the club to send me an email telling me I'd missed two away games, which got me absolutely panicking for 24 hours yeah. and thinking well, that can't be right. And Those then got the correct emails. Did, did they get any of them right? I know they were all close to being right. But none of them were exactly right. Were I, I never it didn't really count how many games I've been to enough to really bother. But then everyone started saying you got them wrong. You would in dance at that situation, yeah. though, wouldn't you? If you've done them all, oh, absolutely, you want, yeah. You, you, want if you know you've done them all, you, you want yeah. that. Was, my recollection was well was historically they used to do the mileage you'd travelled. Yeah, they based did. on your home address to yeah. where the yeah. stadium was. Yeah. Now it's all from the Amex. Yeah, and no, I, I preferred the um, the mileage thing. Yeah. Living in London, it works out nice. And also, it's harder for anyone to agree with that then, because they have to be like really specific. <laughs> You're not going to be like that yeah. bothered. I don't know if there was a diversion on the M25, for example, <laughs> when we're driving down that sort of thing. You know, snow, snow problems. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and out of interest, was that that was cup games as well? Did you? Yeah, all, 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 all the cup, uh, Carabao and FA. That yeah. is amazing. So, Forest Green Road. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you manage to get any veggie food? Because you're a vegetarian. I, I, it always runs out, doesn't it? The, the queue at Forest Green Rovers put me off the idea of queuing up for anything because I could hardly see yeah. the game anyway with all this crammed onto that little concrete terrace. Yeah. So I thought queuing up for 20 minutes no. and, and missing Dennis on that scoring is not really something I wanted to do. It's a bit of a shame. Somehow the catering's not great because we went, um, we think we wouldn't go there with the album. We went yeah. to see um, Barnett's opening game of the season. A couple of years, two, three years ago, wasn't it? Long. I think it was like, our first was, Premier League season, I think. It was maybe. their first game of the football league. Yeah. And um, they ran out of vegetarian food really early. Not, I'm not a vegetarian. Yeah, we spent, not, she was very disappointed not to be able to try the food. She been looking forward to we it. We spent an awful lot of time hanging out in the, the, the like hospitality bar away end bar, which is basically under a, under a marquee. With a window that's holding your beer. Which is coming as no <laughs> surprise to absolutely anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but they're moving now in a few years anyway, or a year yeah. or two. D Dan, just going back to your, your album history, So, where, just to picture the scene, so where were you born and brought up? Where, you, where, where were you located? Um, I was born in London, um, yeah. but my mum and dad had an acrimonious split, and so to get away from him, my mum moved to the south coast when I was even a year old, so Brighton feels like home to me. Yeah. So you were in Brighton, you lived in Brighton as well? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so technically I'm, a, I'm an East 17, I'm a Brian Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm a Walthamstow lad, but um, <laughs> I've, I've got no recollection of living there or, or being there or anything. So the, yeah. the salty air of Brighton is my is my first memory. Hence, yeah. the addiction to the album. And we've certainly come a long way, Davy, to quote a certain Albion fan, and we since then. And we'll get on to this season in particular in part no, two. But what we wanted to do in part so one, and um, you had a particular reason. We wanted to get you on anyway, to be honest. So long overdue inviting you on in general. But you had a particular subject you wanted to, to talk to us about, actually. And it's something we haven't covered, I don't think, in any way before. It's a subject that affects anybody, really, um, up and down the land, including footballers, we could we could mention as well. Um, it's to do with your, um, yeah, something you've been going through, isn't it, in uh, recent years. Um, and, I mean, we've... Um, 
we talked about it off air, but just just to kind of we'll talk about what you're willing and happy to talk about on air with regard to this. Um, really, I'll start with the question you you asked me to ask. Really, is what have you come onto the podcast to discuss in particular? I think the easiest way to describe it is probably mental health. Um, from my own perspective, uh, I've been through some fairly severe mental health issues for an extended period of years now, um, and it's given me perhaps a, a personal insight that I was completely blind to before going through this myself. And I imagine that's the same for any medical problem that you don't want to like to break your leg until you break your leg. Um, when you're when your mental health goes, it's. I think we're still trapped in a world of fear of talking about it. We're we're trapped in a world of people uh, realizing they should talking should talk about it, but not knowing how to. And the fear of saying the wrong thing to someone, and the guilt that might follow if you say the wrong thing, and something terrible happens, and isn't it better to just avoid it? We so, were saying off air, I think it particularly applies to men as well. It's like very much uh, even more so with men. Yeah, for, for, for reasons that um, experts know and I don't, but I'm happy to piggyback their their ideas. Men are worse at uh, accepting mental health issues, are worse at talking about them, are worse at expressing their expressing their emotions, and I think. Um, it seems weakness still for a lot of people. It's seen as a weakness. It's seen as something to be ashamed of. And part of my reason for coming on to this is to try and—I don't want to say set an example of myself. I don't want to sound that pompous or arrogant, mm. but to try and open up a conversation. Such the same as have been on North Stand Chat, where people have come on and posted things about how they're feeling with with their mental health or depression or suicidal thoughts, whatever it might be. Um, but again, as I was saying to you off air, I find my own thought process is often very confused because like most people, I think at a thousand miles an hour, um, which is why I think so many people say it's good to talk because you can't talk at a thousand miles an hour. You have to slow down. You have to get your thoughts a bit more in order. But what I've found in the last few years with what I've been going through, I can't type as fast as I talk. So if I brain dump onto a piece of paper or typing onto my iPad how I'm thinking, it gives me the opportunity to slow that whirlwind in my head down and start to get some order around what I'm thinking, why I'm thinking it, what, what, what's the structure around how I'm feeling, and, and to, to maybe encourage other people to think about those same things, that even if they can't talk to someone about how they're feeling, perhaps they can find some help themselves by starting to write things down and, and get some focus and some clarity in their own mind as to what they're feeling and why. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? I think thinking outside the box of, of how to deal with things. People feel they can't talk, but even if they do talk, maybe talking isn't enough. And this idea of writing stuff down, I think it's quite interesting. It's not something I've thought of being a thing, but it, actually I think it's a, it's a pretty good tool to use. Because, as you said, you, you have to type slower than you can think, certainly. Probably quicker than you can talk as well. Uh, slower than you can talk. And it's, it's the same with, with anything. If you're trying to retain information, if you're trying to remember things, it's easier to write things down. Yeah, it gives you more thinking time. I think it can be reflective. It can be a good, yeah, I think you use the word cathartic in, in a sense of maybe not with the right word, but actually I think it could be cathartic for some people as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that from some of the first mental health therapy sessions I had, I used to get homework yeah. from my counsellor. And it was something as simple as three questions. Mm. How am I feeling today? Why am I feeling this way today? Yeah. Do I want to feel the same tomorrow? And if not, why? Yeah. 
and just writing down the answers to those three questions. For me, it was, I was writing two, three thousand words for each question, yeah. and, and it just illustrated to me just how much crap I had flying around inside my head, and how much, uh, how much the ambulance was coming to get me. Yes. Um, well, worry about what I'm saying. <laughs> but with our sight from the Gladstone, the, uh, the, the emergency services are always in present yes, at some point. one downside, yeah. Girls <laughs> central London on the evening. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's certainly a really good point. Um, um, it's really good to be aware of that as well, and think that like, you know, see that understand the logic there, and kind of like mm. actually, you know, to, you, you can do something like that, and it, it will help at least, or it will help to kind of get thoughts on the paper. And yeah, I mean, for, again, speaking from my own personal pompous and arrogant perspective, uh, in saying that I've not been through this before, and so I'm, I'm learning as I go along. Yeah. I've found that the the help that's available out there when you go to the NHS didn't work for me at all that they, they seem to have a model of what mental health issues are and they have a response to those issues and if that's not the issue you're suffering then it's not something that's going to be able to help you and, and the NHS actually pushed me further into mental health issues than, than I would have been I think had I lasted on my own yeah, I think I think the NHS is very good at emergency kind of physical problems. When it comes to like follow up care and physical problems, and then also mental health problems, it's it struggles resource wise. It struggles in terms of like attracting the right people to do it, probably as well. And yeah, because someone like a you know people who are good at you know good in that area probably don't will get paid a lot more, frankly, to do it privately. Yeah, it's an honest answer. They'll probably if, if someone can you know you can train someone up much more easily in how to treat a broken leg than you can to you know kind of understand someone's psychology but I think most broken eggs are the same most people's psychologists aren't the same they're very yeah. different but I think the, the analogy you make is, is very well observed that if we talked about someone with a broken leg going to the NHS and the NHS sticking him in plaster taking him out of plaster and they're saying well you need physio until you can walk again would the NHS say you can have six sessions if you can't walk after that well it's your own fault yeah. you can only have six sessions I don't think they would I think they'd say well for whatever reason, your healing is going to take longer. We need to give you more care, more attention, give you more sessions. Let's, let's put you on an exercise bike until you can put more weight on your foot, whatever it might be. But with mental health, with counselling, you get a limited number of sessions, and that's it. You get kicked out the door. You might only be just starting to explore why you feel the way you do, and they say, that's it, sunshine. And that's even more disheartening if you're just starting to make a breakthrough, you feel better, and then you're told, oh, no, that's it, sorry, you can't get anything else. Yeah. That would be even worse. And when you do go back and say, look, I'm still struggling here, they'll say, okay, well, we'll find you somebody else. They don't say, well, we'll send you back to the same yeah. person who knows you, who you have continuity with, who already understands, and there's a relationship there. They send you to a brand new organisation and a brand new person. And the words I got the most from the NHS that I hated the most and I heard so often, tell me why you're here today. Mm. I must have heard that 50 times in seeing so many different people. And it's, it makes you say, I'll tell you why I'm here today. It's to call you a hopeless wanker and leave. <laughs> and that's how it makes you feel. And, and you really do feel like the help that should be pushing you to swim downstream is actually pushing against you because it's a cold soulless formulaic machination isn't it that's all that's happening there yes there's, there's no interpersonal interpersonal connectivity there going on at all it's just somebody as, as you said earlier off air ticking the boxes uh, i mean we're in a world where box ticking is just a, a plague really it's just a permeation we don't get to a super political we're in a we're in a yeah, world yeah. where we've had well, a country where you've had 40 years pretty much barring to a 10-year gap of Tory governments yeah. and 
that is basically what the doctrine they've come up with and it's almost like it, it does feel like sometimes mental health is like oh well you know, get on with it sort of thing it's, but I also think it's intrinsic to uh, without getting too political um, intrinsic to the capitalist ethos yeah. that you don't want to be sued mm. and that's where so many of our health services come from at the moment if yeah. I can prove I ask you the, these three questions every day are you taking your medicine mm. how do you feel uh, do you think you might kill yourself in the next two hours and you can tick those boxes and the coroner won't be blaming the NHS if you jump off a bridge and I'm afraid that's that's the level of treatment that I was getting. It doesn't actually help you at all. No. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I, and I make no secret of the fact to you and anyone who's unfortunate enough to be listening that I did have a suicide attempt uh, about 16 months ago, which uh, I still haven't made my mind up if it was a good thing or not that it failed because I'm still struggling with my mental health. But the, my approach to suicide was it was going to be a blessed relief that my mental health was dragging me down so much and that I was so miserable and so wrought with pain and tears every day that the safest thing for me to do was leave the planet so it wasn't an impulse it was something I worked on something I planned something I made sure I prepared for so I'd got my will done I'd written all my farewell notes I got my finances in order all that sort of stuff and you know typical Brighton fan fucked it up at the last minute didn't quite make it but it was it wasn't something the NHS were ready for yeah. They wanted someone in touch with them that says, I'm having suicidal thoughts and I'm scared by them. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Please save me. Whereas I was going to them saying, I'm having suicidal thoughts. I think it's the best thing for me. What I really want you to try and help me with is to tell me if there's anything I'm missing so that suicide isn't a good idea. What can you help me with to talk me out of this? I, I want to kill myself, but I'm going to give you a chance to help. And they just didn't know how to face it. Didn't know how to focus on it. Um, it, it does feel like mental health, you know, in the NHS has not really gone anywhere forward in the last 50 years. No, it's, but I, I think, as you say, because it's, you know, the lack of funding, you have to focus on the immediate. You have to focus on yeah. the car crash. Yeah. You have to focus on the cancer patient. Of course you do. Whereas someone who might take three to six months to start to feel a little bit better after taking a few pills is not a priority. And when I say take a few pills, I mean antidepressants rather than overdosing yeah. on paracetamol. And that's what the NHS will do. They'll, they'll force you, whatever shape your peg is, and I don't want to get back into the innuendos, whatever shape your peg is, they will force it into their square hole. Yeah. No matter how much it trims off the edges. And it's interesting you said that because I was just about to raise this anyway, but you mentioned about physical, uh, treating the physical stuff, Peter. And aftercare, my dad's had the need for aftercare stuff for health issues he's had quite recently, and it's really not there apart from for a short period. And the aftercare, as, you, as you're saying, Peter, is, is an issue that they're, they're not good at. That's where they're not great. And it's almost as if, Dan, that this is pocketed into the same bracket. But as you said, it's not a seen as an urgent thing because it's not an immediate physical pain being inflicted by a broken leg or whether it's a cancer you can't see it you can't see, see, it. Can't see it. so it's almost as if it gets wrongly bracketed into that same category of the stuff we're not very good at we'll leave it to one side and we'll just make sure we're ticking the boxes covering our asses making sure we're not accountable and there's degrees with that within physical illness as well because I work for an MS charity and they're terrible with a lot of the time with MS because it's not, not a lot of the time you initially can't see it and you know you can't they can't diagnose it for like eight years so it's not just it's, it's, it's anything really that's not really obvious it's sometimes it's like we don't want to get too much into the criticizing NHS because they are woefully underfunded and it's yeah, yeah. But I think I think one of the hardest things that, that I've experienced with, with my mental health issues, and I, get, I know I'm disappearing up my own ass again, I apologise for that, is just finding the right people to talk to. Because having tried the NHS and 
their response being, they're there. If you feel in danger, call us. If you feel at risk, call us. Mm. And my response is, but I don't feel in danger. I don't yeah. feel at risk. I don't feel vulnerable. I'm just telling you I want to kill myself, and it's your job mm. to try and talk me out of it. No, yeah. I can't. Yeah. Who do you actually talk to? Who do you go to and say, I'm having these suicidal thoughts? Because from my perspective, the mates I've got from uh, the North Stand Collective are the best mates I've ever had in my life. No, no question, bar none. Um, I had zero family, but I view NSK as I think I would view a family. People that I can confide, confide in, people that I know are there for me. But who wants someone to come to them and say, I'm feeling suicidal, I don't know what to do? And then have that person have to deal with the impact that six weeks later, six days later, that person has killed themselves. How does that make you feel? And from my perspective, I didn't ever want to inflict that on anybody. I didn't want to go to you, Russ, or you, Pete, or anybody else and say, I'm feeling so bad I might kill myself, can we have a chat? How do you then feel when I do? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel like you've let me down? Do you feel like you let yourself down? And, and I couldn't do that. I couldn't open up to people because I didn't want to give them that potential yeah. damage that they think they fucked up. That's a really yeah. good point, isn't it? I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought of that myself, but actually, yeah, that is a big barrier, isn't it, to, to doing it? It's not just not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to make a fuss about yourself, whatever it might be. It's actually that as well, yeah. the notion that you might be imposing a huge level of guilt or other problems by sharing it with someone, yes. And, and then really what, what, what I found I was doing was not only was I managing my own internal mental anguish, mm. I was trying to lessen other people's by not sharing the burden I had. Yeah. Because I didn't have an outlet. As I say, the NHS did their best, but it didn't work. Yeah. I, I was... You know, it's, it's easy to say, and I, I would never put them down, the Samaritans would be the perfect place to go. Because it's someone to talk to who, who is trained to listen, who is yeah. trained not to be a judge. Um, the biggest problem I've got, and I'm going to edit it out if you want, if you don't donate to the Samaritans, set yourself up a little direct debit and do. Because I've phoned the Samaritans twice. And to give you a ridiculous scenario, let's say I've just taken a bottle of sleeping pills and I'm going to phone the Samaritans and I'm on hold for 40 minutes waiting to speak to someone. The two times I spoke to the Samaritans, and it was three, four o'clock in the morning, I was on hold for 40 minutes because there was nobody available. And I hung up. Right. And the reason right. is because the Samaritans haven't got enough money yeah. to help people that, that they want to help. Yeah, just resources, not a lack of willingness. Yeah. Not a lack of capability. Yeah. And, and again, I've got a very good mate from the Albion, Dean, yeah. who, who is volunteering for the Samaritans and doing brilliant work, and I love him for it. But if there's no one there cool. yeah, if you're literally all on the line and you can't yeah. yeah. so, so I, I found myself in that position where the NHS didn't understand me I didn't want to take a chance of damaging someone that I loved by telling them something and then killing myself and they felt it was their fault and the people that are supposed to be the most independent non-judgmental available just talk mate just get it off your chest so they couldn't get through yeah. yeah. and it, it's a very it's a, it's a triumvirate of really difficult positions yeah but Dan, you said, you, you said in, um, in that, you, you shared the note, actually, or a note, I say a note, a, a, a typed uh, letter, open letter, potentially, you could call yeah. it, um, which you wrote immediately or just a short while before the suicide attempt, um, which I, I want to just talk about a few things about, actually, could you share that with me and, yeah, and with Peter as well? Um, first of all, on the lighter side, you said if there's ever a more self um, centered prick than me, 
in this world and I'm glad I've never had to meet and put up with them. Well, I'm afraid you there's two of us tonight, so... <laughs> <laughs> take take comfort, take comfort that I knew you already. So you exactly. must have been excluded from that. Oh, fantastic, that's good, that's good, yeah. But it's interesting. Oh, although it did say, except for podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe maybe you shoehorned yourself say. back in. It did say that, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting you use that wording at the beginning, but also when you said you were describing what, what, what you were thinking, what you were going to do, what you were thinking you were going to do, and then you described the notion of ending things as running away. That's what the word he used. Could you talk about that a little bit more? Was that, in particular, that, that wording itself, is there anything to glean from that beyond the obvious? Yeah, um, I, I use the phrase running away because my, my depression hasn't been a chemical imbalance. Yeah. It's not been something that has no explanation. My, hmm. And I'm, I hope you'll understand, as you said off-air beforehand, I'm not going to go into the detail, but it's a, no, it's no. a situational depression yeah. that, for me, has got no possible good outcomes. Um, the the councillors I've seen have described it as being bereaved but not having a body to bury of uh, a, a missing person but actually you know where the person is and they're in danger but there's nothing you can do. It's a, it's a really piss poor for me situation of, of, of a situation that I can't correct uh, I can't address I can't do anything about it and it leaves me feeling helpless that I, there's nothing I can do but at the same time because all that I want to do with my life relates to that situation it's hopeless as well and, and so I've, I've been staring down a long dark tunnel of my future and, and nothingness that there is no point there is no hope there is no future why bother uh, which is, as I was saying, going to the NHS saying, have I got this right? Um, what I used to say to the NHS was, um, using the example of jumping off a bridge, jumping off into the Thames, the last thing I want is the final few electrons, snaps, he's firing in my brain to go, do you know what you should have done, smart ass? And for that to happen while I'm a foot off the bottom with a rucksack full of bricks and it's too late to come back. Yeah. And I wanted the NHS to be that final yeah. firing of the, the, yeah. my brain to say, no, think about this or think about that. And I say, not their fault, but they weren't available They're not, they're to not do programmed it. like that. Yeah. They're not yeah. fit for it. But, that, but that, that's been the issue for me that I've, I've just effectively the long dark tunnel and, and the typical cliche of the light at the end of it being a train coming the other way. It felt to me like the long dark tunnel. I was better off staring down the barrel of the shotgun. Um, that was my long dark tunnel, and, and it was it was a kindness. Me killing myself was like putting an animal down. They're not going to get better. They're going to be in pain. They may not understand, but the kindest thing to do is to end that pain for them. And that's how I felt about my own life, and, and that's why I tried to end it. Yeah, and you refer to it as a, almost like a, a business decision. So you, you had over a longer period of time to yeah. think about this. You hadn't rushed into anything. And you've given it rational thought, looked at pros and cons, you said in the, in the, in the letter, and it, it was just a, a rational, rational, considered decision over time. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's Which maybe, is not what the interest were expecting, obviously. No, rational and kind of like you know, kind of like almost scre you know, screaming about it and like, I want to do this, and and then yeah, you try and calm them down as compared to someone who's actually got logical ideas and logical thoughts. It doesn't and, fit into a box, yeah. and also, as you said, it's a situational thing. Whereas people may have been diagnosed with mental health issues from a young age, they've got a history of mental illness. Way before maybe a scenario occurs where they might be getting suicidal. In this scenario, yours is situational. They know nothing about you, presumably in this context, and suddenly you, at one point, you've come into them at whatever point that is, 
and as you said, it's then they're not ready for that that quite calm, rational, considered uh, proposition that you're you're giving them. So I'm feeling like I want to do this. But but again, another another very salient point that you've made is that because mine continues to be a situational depression. Yeah. To go in every day and see a new face and have someone say, "So yeah. tell me why you're here today," yeah. doesn't work because because if I was going to go and tell you exactly why I'm feeling like this and go into all the personal detail, it would take me an hour to give you a pricey. Yeah. And so basically, say, you've taken up the whole time just talking about it, the actual reason. Some people may not want to trust or why you feel comfortable to trust divulging this information even in this fragile moment. As and well. no and one wants changing... to talk about it every single day yeah. to a different yeah. person yeah. who yeah. doesn't yeah. understand it. Especially yeah. if you're again, not going to benefit anything because you and basically again. spent that whole time telling them and then they've offered no int- idea of what to help, what to do or how to help. Or Yeah, it's absolutely. a fragile, vulnerable moment or period of time where it's, the stakes are high and the, the time is, is precious. You can't really get that wrong over a period of time with, with different people. It's, it feels like the, the least they yeah. could do is offer the same person, at least yeah. or the same two people every week almost, if they yeah. don't have everyone on the same day and that sort of thing, but rather than having a different person each day, yeah. at well, least the least they could do in that situation is to at least provide you with someone who... It's continuity and well, I've been I've been very lucky lately that I'm uh, seeing someone from an organisation called Likewise. Um, and her name's Tony, and she's really gone above and beyond to continue the senior and get extended sessions and extended periods of time, so that I've got that continuity. And, and she's been great. But at the same time, I, I have to admit that the possibility of me committing suicide is still there. It's still in my thoughts on a daily basis. But I hope that by, again, being the pompous, arrogant me, by, by being able to speak about this, it might encourage other people to do the same. And, and, and Peter, I know we were speaking beforehand about that, that weird male environment that football is where it's all chummy and it's all mates and it's all beer and it's all great and we love it. And we can cry together over a promotion. Or relegation. Like or relegation. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. we can't, yeah. we can't, despite the fact that men can't talk about mental health, we have that friction between those two separate yeah. scenarios. On one side, we can't talk about our mental health, but on the other side, football is so good for our mental health. Yeah. But, that, and it is, it is ironic because to a lesser degree than probably for most people, but... Football does define your weekend. To, to me, football defines my weekend. I will, if we went on Saturday at three o'clock, I would have a much happier weekend. Almost whatever happens than I do if we if we lose. Well, that's not going to happen often. Yeah. Three o'clock on Saturday. Well, all right. <laughs> but moving swiftly. Next season, yeah, Sunday at two yeah. o'clock, basically. Yeah. But but the, the point remains, and it's and obviously it's probably a lot more extreme example from your point of view. But it's you know I think most people. My wife, when I think I was saying to you earlier, but we beat Newcastle three 0 I was having problems at work. I was like a bit fed up at that point. It was lockdown. It was a bit shit, or it was at least like in between lockdowns. And we went, and I, within two hours, my mood completely changed from being like really fed up and like I can't. I'm dreading work tomorrow because it's a Sunday. And we beat Newcastle three 0 I watched it on TV, and my mood completely changed at that point. Yeah. Football has that. It's a beautiful, and it's the other way around. It works as well because my wife was saying oh, I'm jealous of you for that, but actually it can equally work. You're having a good weekend, and suddenly we lose two 0 to looting away or whatever, and. <laughs> it all turns around but it's football is it does have a huge impact on on people it's like it's, and people don't really see that I think if you don't like football you don't see the impact it has but I would, I would always 
advocate as strongly as possible that as great as football is, and, and I accept your point about we're in lockdown and football's on the telly, and it became a different scenario how you relied on football then. Currently, for me, people say it all the time, football is a day out ruined by 90 minutes of what takes place on the field. It's the people you're surrounded by yeah. that give you that absolute fulfilment, that enjoyment, um, and, and again, recognising my own mental vulnerabilities at the moment, when the football season finished, I went out onto the NSK WhatsApp group and said, guys, I'm, I'm feeling like I've got this long, dark tunnel ahead of me because we've got June and July and August, some of, where there isn't any football. Um, and I live a long way away from most people. I live in London, so the NSK mostly in Brighton. And said, please let me know if you're going to go out. Let me know if I can come and join you, I will. If you're going to be up in London, even if you're going to gig and I can join you for a beer before you go, let me know. I need something to get me through this period. And they've been superb. Posting for, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Bermondsey Beer Mile, come and have a sit on the beach, whatever it might be. And, and for me, it's, it's not talking because I'm not going out to them saying, invite me out and I'm going to open my heart. It's just going out. It's just, I've got something to do. I've got something to aim for. I've got a reason to not be dead before... I next see you because you you said in that letter as well um, you mentioned how to varying degrees it could help the football could help but for you you said it was a matter of the day the hours the minutes but the days in between was why this was still a problem for you it wasn't enough it was a a, I presume you're saying it's like a a hit that staved it off for a while but then come midway through the next week or whatever it might be yeah, you yeah. haven't got that, even in the shorter term, you haven't got it until next Saturday or whatever it is. <coughs> that, that for some people, yourself included, could be still be a problem. Yeah, so but, but I think the, I, I, I do nothing but contradict myself all the time. I'll go to a football, be at home or away, and I'll be a, a number of hours and loads of people, yeah. and sometimes the following day I'm exhausted. I can't get out of bed because I've used up all my energy trying to be normal. And I think it's a, it's a Robin Williams quote. Normal people don't act depressed. Depressed people act normal. Right. And so, it's such hard work but I think to not that, let someone know how you're feeling. But almost in a way, to describe it as not normal. I mean, there's so many people yeah. who have depression. It's, mm. It is very normal. But I think it's what like... Is normal? A, a, yeah. Absolutely, I agree with that completely. But what, what I'm saying is it's very hard. On a number of regions, you know, I don't, I don't want to... Every time I go and see my mates, I don't want to be, oh, cross, I'm feeling miserable. Yeah. I was thinking about killing myself. What's the point? This has happened, that's happened. They'll be like, good Lord, is he here again? We, we just, he's, he's a drain on our system. He's quite the front. Uh... Yeah, and, and it's, yeah. it's an effort. You, you've, be, because of the, the whole environment of mental health, that, that maybe it comes from me saying, you know, I don't want to inflict that on other people. I feel less of a burden if I'm not telling people how I feel and, and that, that I'm painting myself into a corner yeah. that my mates have all said if you want to have a chat have a chat here's yeah. my number give me a call come and see me but I don't feel like mm. I want to be a burden to them and I, I don't know how to get past that yeah I could see the paradox and the, yeah that's a, that's a really good point and the thing you said about worrying that you're going to be providing a, a guilt scenario for someone shouldn't there is a middle ground <laughs> yeah. between that and in a way yeah. and talking to people about, your, about mental health generally yeah. and the suicide bit is, is, there is a middle yeah. ground where you can talk about your you know your feelings yeah. that sort of thing. And absolutely. And, but I think that is genuine I think we're probably sort of early right men struggle with that it's an awfully you know met as a whole and especially in, I think Britain generally they're very much like 
a lot of people would would probably not be that impressive because people you know but your mates i'm sure would be and you know we're, yeah. we're it's really great you're on here and, i think again, it's a it's, really big issue to talk about and it's it, really great it's a, it's a personal thing for me so hopefully others will be better equipped to manage it than than i but <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, my mum and dad broke up when I was a year old. My mum lived down in Brighton, thankfully, so I've got the blue and white stripes now. Um, but I grew up with a mother and a sister. I didn't have any strong male role models, so I find it very hard to make myself feel vulnerable with men. Yeah. I, I find it hard to, to expose that soft underbelly. Um, and uh, I'd even gone to the NHS and they said, do you have a preference for a type of therapist? And I said, yeah, I'd much prefer a woman. Yeah. And I must have been on my fifth or sixth therapist before I got a woman. And, and it's just way off then, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, and I'm because I've never had a father figure to look up to and respect and, and be able to engage with. When, despite my advancing years, when I get given a male therapist who is 20 or 30 years older than me, I'm thinking I just I don't want to open up to you. I don't I don't feel like there's a comfort there or there's any relaxation for me to feel normal. And I'm and I'm going to go back to a very very recent event. Last night, sitting in my, what is my regular pub, um, I didn't think I was doing anything different. I was just sitting there with some headphones on, listening to some music, having a pint, and this female barmaid walked up to me and said, are you all right? Hmm. Well, well, yeah, why? She said, well, okay, but are you really all right? Because you don't look all right. I went, well, all right, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Feeling, you know, I don't want to go into detail. This is what I said to her rather than saying it. I'm not going to do it on the podcast. But no, but I'll, I'll be all right. It's really nice of you to check in on me. And she went, well, do you want to cuddle till you feel better? Wow. And there's this, there's this, I don't know how old she is. This genuinely lovely human being who sees a regular customer who doesn't look happy and goes and makes an effort to not just say, you're all right, and accept, yeah, I'm fine, but actually pushes it. Yeah. And puts her arms around me and says... If you want to let it out, let it out. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself crying. Yeah. And, amazing and, and that, is, that has given me a, a, such a, a conflicting view on myself now that am I that miserable that it's better to end it all? Or is there enough goodness out there that no, perhaps it's worth I staying think it's, around? I think it's like for that it's like people, you know, it's like, obviously the, the view of the NHS and all that sort of thing is, is accurate, but there are enough people who are really just good-hearted and want to be there for you and want to be there for all of us and will actually want to help everyone and but but for me i think what was what was massive for that was it was it was almost like the samaritans but face to face yeah it was someone i didn't know someone who wasn't going to judge me someone who wasn't going to feel guilty or or who didn't understand me at all but just said are you okay and i've tried to do that myself a lot having gone through this that i'll see someone in a pub who doesn't look happy and you, you are you all right everyone says yes yeah. everyone of course it's when you say, it's literally are you being sure? British is like kind of, yeah. it's when you say, it's are you sure? Brought up. It's something simple. Are you sure? You just look like you've got something on your mind. And I've yeah. had people in floods of tears talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's made me feel better that I can make someone else feel better. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's that pay it forward thing. I know it's a cliche. But if, if you're feeling bad, you might feel better if you help someone else feel better. Yeah. And I've found such value in that. Actually, that's a good point. That is amazing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what a great story, and that's, that's wonderful to hear. And yeah, as you said, it's worth pushing that extra moment. Ask again, obviously don't hassle something. But you, you can ask them a bit yeah, more. Once you're punching them in the more. mouth, saying I don't believe you, it's gone yeah. a bit far. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you sit down next to them, like, and steal their food. Yeah, or sit in their lap. <laughs> yeah, and a total stranger, not someone that you're familiar with 
quirky in the car as well. I mean, even if they're probably not going to tilt their lap, to be honest. Well, if you want me to get off your lap now, Ross, just let me know. <laughs> no, you're all right there. It's quite comfortable there, Dan. It's your legs right. haven't gone to sleep yet. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the point is, I think when you're at that paradox, of, do I do I want to feel like imposing myself on someone? Do it. I think if you feel you need to talk for anyone listening to this. Do. If you feel the inclination to do it, you should do it. With, with friends, if you trust them enough to speak yeah. to them in the first place, uh, or even a stranger, that you, I don't know, somebody you don't know very well, maybe it's good to talk to a stranger as well. If you feel the inclination to talk to someone, definitely yeah. do it, because it, it can only have really fun. And, and again, I'm not I'm not a regular on Morstand chat, but you know I go on, on have a look about once every couple of months, yeah. and there's been some people coming out on there who posted stuff yeah. And it's amazing the support that rallies around them. Yeah. And, and, and to echo that point about, I think faster than I talk, and I talk faster than I write, maybe it's done some of the world of good to actually type a long post and explain, not to anybody else how they feel, but to be able to get it down for themselves yeah. how they feel. You don't have to put it on North Stand Chat. Just type it down for yourself, go to bed, read it the next day, and it allows you to understand yourself so much more. Yeah. And if it's something that works for you, I'd, I'd recommend it heartily. And not all sound chat is interesting because it's the best and worst of things, isn't it, really? There's some fantastic information out there. There's some fantastic sharing of, of thoughts on various subjects. But it's great for that as well because it is a, an anonymous way you can you can vent things. You could... You could don't go there after we lost three games in three days, three weeks. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> At the same time, you've got a bunch of idiots on there that talk a load of nonsense. Avoid it, I feel off to Lithuania. Yes, exactly. So, you know, but it, 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 it could be a tool. Source, yeah. it, right? Even this as well, you know, if someone's listening to this or, or even anyone else wants to come on, who's Alvin-related, yeah. wants to come onto this podcast and talk about similar issues or anything besides. Just don't let them sit on your lap before me. No, no, definitely not. You're first Thank in you. line down every time. <laughs> told me that when I first came in the pod and now he's like changed his mind <laughs> that's because um, you said sit on my lap and we'll talk about the first thing that comes up <laughs> oh god um yeah so I mean that's uh, that's kind of where we were with that and we talked about other questions as well I mean you, you said the question you could pose here is um what do you want to do with this and how have your issues come to the fore? I mean, I don't know if you've, you've kind of covered some of that already in a roundabout way, but... Yeah, I think, I think we have. I mean, how my issues come to the fore, I guess it's... How many, how many mornings can you wake up in a row and think, I just don't want to do this anymore? Mm. Uh, at what point do you start to get so short-tempered with people mm. socially or, or probably what happens more often than not certainly means at work yeah. I haven't got time for these idiots yeah. I just I don't want to do this anymore mm. and, and do, do you fight yourself and fight the people you work with or do you actually say I am going to have to go and take myself out of this situation because if you know worst case scenario I'd punch someone at work I could tell my manager what I really think of them it's not going to do me any good no. but am I so ashamed of having a mental health issue that I don't go to a doctor and get signed off do I go to a doctor and say could you say I've broken my leg when actually I'm yeah, because that can be another stigma, doesn't it? It can. People, and, especially and if it's people you don't want to talk to at all. You don't get on with your colleagues. And, I, and I'm aware of mm. um, a number of working environments where people need a level of security clearance mm. to yeah. be able to do their job. Yeah. Mental health can be a big sticking yeah. point to getting a security clearance. Yeah. And to say, I'm feeling depressed, I'm a bit 
uncertain about whether I can say anything. But if I do, my job might suffer anyway yeah. because I can't continue to work where I'm working because that's seen as such a taint. And that's another thing that needs to change. Why, why is it that I can go off sick with a broken back and my security clearance is fine? But if I cry myself to sleep once a week and call my manager an arsehole, I'm suddenly a bad risk. Yeah, it makes no, makes no sense. It, it just it just goes back to the past of the country, doesn't it? Really, it's like it's very much like you know, we've got to have a you know a backbone and stand up and like be like just get on with it, especially men. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, 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 and it's ludicrous today these days. You're sort of the moment, and was that did you actually? Unclean, so to speak, when terms you just get the doctor to sign you off on the, the daily yeah, grounds. It was, I mean, I, I probably stayed at work longer than I should have done. Yeah. And the the, the negative impacts were all on me because I I, I kept the face on. Mm. I kept yeah. the work up. I kept the badinage. I kept the humour. I kept all the, the things that I liked. Then the exhaustion in the morning again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so when I eventually went to the doctor, it was like a relief yeah. that I could be signed off but at the same time I probably with hindsight went a little bit too far that once I'd been signed off a month and I was feeling suicidal and it was a, a, a diagnosis of severe depression and my, my line manager was brilliant absolutely brilliant so supportive kept in touch you know do you want to have a phone call do you want to come in do you not want to come in do you want to meet other people or meet in the pub if you like do you want to go for a meal anything whatever you want you take the lead he was absolutely superb to hear. really really good but then I found myself well do I feel now guilty that I should be going back to work no, no, because not. I'm letting them down that's not what they're saying it's like they're, no. they're, but, but it, it made me feel guilty yeah it made me yeah Overthinking it all. You almost said to wants to have a fight against them, but actually they were being so nice that you almost like then yeah, but, you know, but, too far get away. And but in feeling guilty, I started to think, well, my line manager knows what's going on, but he's respecting my privacy and not telling other people just that I'm off sick. Yeah. And so I wrote an email to the whole team, yeah. saying I'm off with depression. It's it's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, yeah. they're trying to do the right thing to, to yeah. let people say you know that whole it's okay to not be okay thing but I went a bit too far I vented a bit too much and started to speak about <laughs> suicidal intentions and and yeah. a, it hit a lot of the team members pretty badly right, right. that they started to think Christ what can we do yeah. and I started getting messages from people I didn't want <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me if you're okay you can call me anytime like, just leave me alone it was, it was a self-inflicted injury but, uh, but again I'm I don't want to get too controversial here for a podcast, but the the bit that made me the angriest, I think, is where a lot of my problem comes from the NHS. And I don't know if it's in the, the kind of the farewell note thing that I emailed you or not, so I'll, I'll cover it briefly. Is the state believe that they know what's best for me? The state believe yeah. that if I want to kill myself, I must be mentally ill, over and above suffering depression or stress or whatever it might be. That I can be committed because I want to kill myself. Because the state know I'm better alive. Well, as I've said, pros and cons, SWOT analysis, all that stuff. No, actually, I decided that being dead was better for me. I just wasn't good enough to get it done. But where does that come from? I think it comes from that, that old religious mentality that killing yourself is a sin mm. and therefore anyone that commits a sin is either doing it deliberately because they're an idiot or doing it deliberately because they're not thinking straight mm. and and some of the to, to jump back to where i was about the emails from people at work mm. 
the ones that really annoyed me the most are the ones that came from a religious perspective. Not, are you okay? Not, is there anything I can do for you? But you realise you are going to be condemned to an eternal hell of damnation if you kill yourself. Yeah. And, and while I respect somebody believing that, don't put your beliefs on me. That, 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 wasn't, that wasn't really what I needed to hear from someone. Because I wanted to go back and say, well, I, I respect your religious views. That's fine. If you've got religious views, yeah. great. I, I hope you get comfort. I hope they're good for you. I hope they help you live a better life. Well, it can't be comforting that much for like, someone to think about damnation and eternal hell. Well, but, yeah. but, but for me to have someone then say, look what you're doing to offend yeah. God, when God wasn't even in my mind, because... You know, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't believe in God. If you want to believe in God, that's fine. I haven't got a problem. Just don't knock on my door on a Sunday morning and ask me if, if I've heard that God exists, because, yes, I have. But it's, it's one of those things where I, I think we're still, as a society, going back to all these square pegs and square holes, and, of course you don't want to kill yourself. This is the solution we've got. It comes back to that sin thing, that you can't want to die because it will offend God, therefore there must be something wrong with it. And I, I think a completely rational, sane person can choose their own death and not be ill. Almost like any other decision that you make in life. Yeah. It's almost got the notions of the man up. Don't, don't have soft thoughts. got to be strong. Just bite your tongue. Stiff up a lip, all of that, which you could say is British, but it goes beyond that as well, doesn't it? And you're right, yeah. I think it's very British men. I think it very it's much is. British men, but, yeah. but it's a fear yeah. thing, isn't it? So, yeah. so, in my, my, I, so. I was brought up as a Christian for the first 15 years of my life, so mm. I understand some religious viewpoints, whatever. It's a fear thing. Yeah. You can't do this because you'll make God yeah. angry. And if you make God angry, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. Well, I, as I say, 15 years as a Christian, I also believe that if this, these gods, I don't want to single one out. I don't know enough about all religions to be certain, but I believe that most religions believe in a deity that is all forgiving and all loving. Yeah. Yet, if you do something that really upsets them, suddenly hell exists. Yeah. It Surely, seems to be too if, 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 there's a, if there's a deity that I love and who loves me, and I'm in such pain as to want to kill myself, that deity is going to want to wrap their arms around me and say, are you okay? Yeah. Not, fuck off, mate. There's a fire over there, go and sit on it. And definitely yeah. not damn you to hell. Yeah. If you do go ahead with something. Exactly. I think, in, in essence, it all comes down to the fact that as this as a country, we find it very hard to like come up to our emotions as well. Yeah. And so people kind of hide behind things like religion, like this, like, you know, like, you know, kind of just like humour as well sometimes. If people bring up subjects like that, they try and joke it away almost. And, and it, without that, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think a lot of European countries are a lot better at dealing with this because they're a lot more emotional, a lot more kind of, especially men are a lot more emotional more generally. Yeah. yeah, whereas over here, I think we are generally, we're literally the same, brought up to very much like, yeah, stiff up our lip, but, you know, go against them. And it means that when there are, you know, problems with mental health that you struggle to deal with it so much much more than maybe in other countries where you know it is you know and it and I think in sport even more so generally as a player as well I think people expect Premier League footballers would be you know kind it's of like all, all like, well also just be so happy because they're earning so much money and that sort of thing yeah. but by definition it's it, depression isn't related to how much money you earn there will be Premier League footballers who suffer from depression but it won't ever occur to anyone because they're, you know, they, they earn like 50 grand a week. They must be really over the moon. But actually, depression's not related to that. No. In no. any way whatsoever. Doesn't matter whether you're earning 50 grand a week or unemployed, you can suffer depression. Yeah, having too much time to yourself could, could be yeah. a problem. In some oh, especially in remember, lockdown as well. Yeah, lockdown, because, yeah, a lot of people have problems with lockdown. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, my nan saying to me, money doesn't buy happiness, but you yeah. can be miserable in comfort. But remember one thing, you're still miserable. 
Yeah. Comfort isn't everything. No, absolutely. Yeah. Very true, very true. And yeah, by all accounts, I think I think you're right. The the notion of religious history and how that's come up through society, and the notion of yeah. male breadwinner as well. There's certain pressures on someone to be the strong force in a family scenario, whatever it might be. Yes, I know things have changed a lot since, but there's still those notions, those. I think a lot of ways they haven't archaic. changed that much. In, it, in it's a lot toxic of ways. masculinity. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. men are not expected to be sensitive. Yeah, exactly. It's seen as a weakness. Yeah. Yeah. And in other right. European countries, it's a lot more yeah. accepted and a lot more kind of natural. Yeah. And I think that's where we where we lose out the country. I think probably where we could learn a lot from from Europe generally yeah. as a whole and from you know. And it's I think generally as a country we're less emotional anyway, but even more so because it's discouraged. Yeah, and on the match unless we go to football, exactly. when we get very yeah. emotional, but it's and limited then you see emotion. crying about getting relegated, so exactly, which is far less important than a lot of things people suffer in life that they don't cry yeah, over. It's, it's, it's letting off steam, isn't it? Yeah. It's uh, expressing yourself, going through the emotions. It's your release time. Yeah. Going with the traditions. But yeah, people who are like, don't make a noise all week. You're hardly telling you all week, so he's dreaming about yeah. stuff. And I had a mate who used to work at a, a sewage plant, but he got fired because he only went through the emotions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> on that, on that <laughs> note. <laughs> that, oh dear, that was cool. Is that the ideal song for the first time? <laughs> well, Literally, yeah. Well, we're going to have empty glasses, isn't it? Uh, Dan, I mean, thanks very much for sharing yeah, that. that I, think, was... I think it's a really important matter. We haven't discussed it on this podcast until now, and I'm really glad we're doing that with you today, this evening, with the background noise and the table yeah. next to yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, but um, it's, yeah, I think it's really important, and, and people should reach out, certainly, to friends, family, yeah. colleagues, if you feel comfortable doing that. Samaritans, if you can get hold of them, obviously, but do try them, do try them, definitely. And, um, but I also think, don't forget, you can reach out to yourself. Exactly. When you yeah. write things down, write you can read them the yeah. next day. Yeah. And it helps you understand yourself a lot better. I think that's a really good point. And I, I think it's a, a, a simple thing to say is that, to think, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then maybe to forget it again. And actually, really, to go through the simple process, just make yourself sit down and actually do that, it can make a difference. It really can. Right. And, and, don't, and don't forget the grammar Nazis won't hit you either, will they? Because it's your own writing, so <laughs> you won't notice the typos. Well, we're going to, um, we'll take a break there. Um, amidst, amidst the wrong food delivery in the background, you're going to love the pop Honestly, we gave away. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a break there, and we're going to talk about a little bit more Albion stuff. And any a little bit of who, sorry? The Albion, you know, that's... Uh, I can't remember, something happened, didn't it? Was, was, Albion Rovers. Seems to me just not Albion Rovers, the other Albion. Blackburn Rovers. Blackburn Rovers. There's another Albion. Apparently they did quite well. So we'll talk about that in part two, coming up after this short beer break. So there we have it, uh, Dan chatting to us in June. Um, thanks again for him to coming in to, to talk to us. And uh, he reminded me that it is World Mental Health Day today, thus the fact we've put this publication back out in part. And we hope that will be a benefit to people. We hope it will um, be of some help to some. And remember, as, as we said in the pod, um, look to, to talk to people. If you've got any worries, talk. Really talk to them um, because you may feel you, you don't want to burden people with your troubles but really it's always best to talk and if that can help in any way it's worth it also if you uh, the other flip side we're talking about being in pubs and seeing people that just don't quite look as if they look right at the moment go over and speak to them and see if um you know maybe they don't want to talk but they're willing to once once you've asked them um 
Dan's had that experience from the other side of the equation, uh, in fact, from both sides of the equation, and has, uh, has recommended that that is a good thing to do. If you see somebody who looks like they, they just did a little bit, need a little bit of uh, love for a moment. Um, so thinking of you, Dan, as, as always, of course, good to hear you're, uh, you're still doing all right. And um, yeah, I've been doing okay as well, aren't they? So happy days. Um, Anyway, we hope that uh, the republishing of this episode, first time we've done that actually, um, will be of any benefit at all to anyone. We really hope it does. And stay safe, everyone. All the best to all our listeners, as always, and stand or fall up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.